0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Devils Talking Padres podcast. This is episode three. I'm Don Stern coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communications. Bobby was unable to be on this podcast. His voice wasn't feeling good, so we're going to give him another episode off. He'll be back next week. We're going to talk about some Padres spring training. They have been off to a great start, the best record in all of spring training right now, currently sitting at seven and one. With an 875 winning percentage. And not only that, but they're also winning games in dominant fashion. 24 run differential uh positive. I should point that out. They have scored 49 runs, which several teams have scored significantly more runs. But they have allowed the least amount of runs in all of spring training at 25. The next closest team is 31. Looking at the standings from the Milwaukee Brewers who are right behind the Padres in the Cactus League standings. Now, at the end of the day, I don't think the team results of spring training games don't matter that much. But if you look at the prior years of spring training, going back to 2019, the Washington Nationals ended up winning the World Series. And you look at the Grapefruit League, they're up at the top. They won 17 and 12. You look at the 2018 Boston Red Sox, who won the World Series. And they're right at the top of the Grapefruit League at 22 and nine. So the teams that have won the World Series have very good success in spring training. So you can't just override these results and say they don't matter. Of course, you know, if you win or lose, that's, you know, not a big deal. But I feel like this is a good sign for Padres fans showcasing the depth. They seem to be running away with games late because that's when the prospects come in for both teams. And that's where the Padres excel, because we're such a deep team. Our editor at East Village Times, James Clark, posted a tweet, and I feel like it represented this team extremely well. He said, uh, outfielders Jorge Onya, Eduardo Lavarez, and Taylor Trammell are all nearly major league ready. I don't think people realize how deep this farm system is at nearly every position. Too much talent is a great problem for the San Diego Padres. I totally agree with that. These guys are all very, very good and top-of-the-line prospects. Edward Olivares hasn't received as much attention as some of the top guys, but he's been off to a fantastic start. One of the highlights of the Padres thus far in spring training, like I pointed out, the pitching has been the main showcase of the team, leading that 24-run differential, which is the best in all of spring training. By a decent amount, Dodgers right behind us at plus twenty two, but that's because they've scored a lot of runs, which is what they're going to do all year. They're they're going to be unbelievable. But the Potters have showed a lot of a lot of encouraging signs. Uh, not a lot of guys are performing bad, and if they are, it's the players that we know are going to be good, like Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado have two of the lowest averages on the team. Of course, Francisco Mejia, who we'll also talk about in a bit has the worst average on the team. He's currently over 10. We'll introduce a new segment. But with that being said, we're going to now move on to some of our position battles. And to start off addressing the position battles and looking back, we're going to start off with behind the plate and look at the catchers. And we're going to start off by just saying that they have both performed very poorly. Austin Hedges is currently hitting in his 8 at-bats 125 batting average, which means he has one hit in those at-bats, a .222 OBP. So he's walked once, so he's got it on base two of nine times, and his only hit was a single. So this is not very encouraging. This is further proving that he's not a good hitter, which we already knew, but we all feel like Austin Hedges could improve upon his hitting from last year. He's hit above 200 a couple seasons in his career, but he's looked very bad thus far. He needs to have a better hitting season than what he did last year, which once again, isn't saying anything because he was one of the worst hitters in all of the MLB. But if he just improves upon it a little bit, gets a little closer to 200, he certainly improves his value a lot because he's so good behind the plate and he's called a pretty solid job. From behind the plate thus far in spring training, exemplified by the fact that the Padres have only allowed 25 runs. Now Francisco Mejia has been even worse than Austin Hedges at the plate. He has zero hits in his 10 at bats, but he has walked twice and only struck out once. Austin Hedges has struck out twice in his eight at bats. So they're actually not been they're actually not doing a terrible job of failing to put the ball in play. Both guys have a tendency to strike out a little too much. But if Mejia wants to play, he's going to have to hit because he's nowhere near as good defensively from Hedges. We know Hedges is going to be good behind the, pl- behind the plate. But, man, it's very frustrating to see these guys struggle this bad. And this might open up a spot for Luis Terenz, who, of course, is on the outside looking in when it comes to getting a spot on the team. But in his four at-bats, he has two hits thus far, two RBIs, and he's also drawn two walks. So, that's a 500 batting average and a 625 OBP. Of course, both of his hits are singles because he's not a huge power guy, but it's a 1.125 OPS. So, in his very, very small sample size, he's looked pretty solid. If he can continue to improve upon this, then he has a legit shot of maybe making the open-ended roster if Hedges and Mejia both are not playing well. At all. Do I think this will happen? No, I think that Hedges and Mejia will be the two opening day catchers, and Torrens will fill in for Allen at AAA now that he is in Oakland athletic. But it's very frustrating to see the two catchers not hitting the ball. Of course, it's the majority of their value comes behind the plate as a catcher. And with the improved lineup, uh, there's less pressure on Hedges and Mejia to both hit. It's going to be interesting to see if these guys can rebound and if Torrens can keep this up and to see if Torrens can keep this up, but it's an con- early concern from the catcher's position. I would say right now, Austin Hedges is winning the battle, which is not saying much because Mejia doesn't have a hit, but let's move on. Next position we're going to talk about is second base and at second base, Bobby and I both came up with the idea that these guys are probably going to platoon with Profar seeing the majority of the playing time given that Perler actually went out and acquired him via trade. He gave up assets to get Profar, but he also threw in a wrinkle by signing Brian Dozier. But looking at these guys, Brett Garcia has been off to a good start with four hits in his 10 at-bats. All four are being singles. He also has walked once. So, you know, he's doing hes doing his job. He's getting on base, which is what Greg Garcia does. And then you look at Jerickson Profar, and Profar has been pretty solid of the plate as well. Three hits in his nine at-bats. He had a home run today against the San Francisco Giants, including a double. So his slugging percentage is currently great at 778. OPS of 1.111 which is very good and this is very encouraging because Profar has been very inconsistent since being the number one prospect in all of baseball but Brian Dozier has had very limited playing time six at bats only got one hit it was a single hasn't walked I'm assuming that he's going to see more playing time in the coming weeks now that he's starting to get adjusted to camp and Spring training has been very encouraging for the second baseman, unlike the catchers. I, right now, have been impressed with Profar and Garcia. But I think that Profar is doing his job of hitting lefties very well. Garcia is doing his job of hitting righties very well. And I think that's what this this job is going to come down to. It's going to be a platoon job. So I think my opinion hasn't changed on any of these guys. There are also a couple other guys who can make the second base spot Interesting. Ty France, three for eight. He scored twice. He has six total bases, which gives him an OPS of 750. 1250 OPS, as he has also walked once. But he has three hits in his eight at-bats, but he's also struck out four times. So there's only been, in half of his at-bats, he's struck out. That's not a great sign. Now, of course, getting out is getting out, but... More often than not, he's not hitting the ball, which is not a good sign for Ty France, a guy who is probably on the outside looking in on making the opening day roster. But when he's hitting the ball, he's doing a great job. His Babip is currently 750, which is not sustainable, but Ty France just needs to do a better job of making contact. And he has a good shot at maybe making the opening day roster. Another guy is Jake Cronenworth, who is more of a shortstop, but I feel like his chance of playing shortstop is slim to none given that Fernando Tatis is, he exists. Let's just put it that way. He's an absolute beast, but looking at Cronenworth's stats, he's not off to a bad start this spring. He's got a 364 batting average, 417 uh OBP and a slugging percentage of 364. So that means all of his hits are singles, but that's an OPS of almost 800. So he's doing a good job. He's probably going to end up in AAA. still is yet to pitch. That'll make the bullpen situation very interesting. And then two other guys who the potters acquired this off season who are at second base are Bravik Valera, who's one for six to start. With a 375 OBP. So he's doing a good job of getting on base two walks. Not doing a great job at the plate. Hitting wise though. He struck out once. Uh, Breivik probably not going to make the opening day roster. And then you look at Gordon Beckham. And he's kind of in the same boat. Zero hits in his eight at bats. But he's drawn five walks. So he's very disciplined at the plate. I don't see how these guys making the opening day roster. And I think that Garcia and Profar are probably going to platoon and Dozier. The signing of Dozier is just kind of odd because he's very Profar-esque. Better of a fielder and a little bit better at the plate against lefties. So it's like, why did you sign Dozier after you acquired Profar? I don't know. It's questioning. But if one of them performs, who cares? So... That's my take on the second base spot. We're going to move on to the outfield. We're going to look up the middle at center field. And I'll first be discussing the guys who I think can play center field, which basically means I'm going to talk about Josh Naylor last. So, Franchi Cordero has started off and he hasn't looked great. In five at-bats, he has one hit. He scored two runs though. He struck out twice and he's walked Twice, So very puzzling numbers. 629 OPS. Keep in mind, this is a very small sample size. Seems like other guys are getting much more playing time, which will change because I think Frenchie is a good shot at making this roster. But knowing that he's not going to win this job using his glove, he needs to improve upon at the plate. So only five at-bats, seven plate appearances. He's doing a good job getting on base, but needs to do a little bit more with the bat He struck out twice in your five at-bats. That's not very good. Trent Grisham, uh, the other competitor for center field from the left side, has had a great start to spring. And like I said, he's got 14 at-bats. He's also struck out twice, but he's walked once, which is interesting. Uh, And then Trent Grisham, who I said... Has had more at-bats. Like I said, 14 at-bats, two Corderos, only five. Grisham has taken advantage of the time. He's got five hits, eight total bases, so he's getting some extra base hits. 571 slowing percentage along with a 400 OBP. That's a 971 OPS. And just watching this guy work in the field, he's been very impressive. This dude looks like he could be the future of the Potters up the middle in center field. The other competitor for center field is Will Myers. And Will Myers of course, comes from the right side. He's a right-handed hitter, unlike these guys, and he's been very solid thus far in spring training. 13 at-bats, four hits, that's a 308 batting average, 400 OBP, As he's blocked twice. He's hit two home runs, which I believe leads the team. I don't know, I'd have to check on that. And he's got a 769 slowing percentage, which is a 1.169 OPS. And with all these additions, it seems like the pressure should be off on Will Myers. He's not the guy like he once was back in 2016, 2017. There are other guys around Will Myers that take the spotlight off of him so that he's not forced to put the team on his back. And I feel like that could actually help him. It didn't the past two seasons, but he seems like his mindset is a little different had a small discussion with him when he was signing my pennant. I said, hey, man, Will, how was the offseason? He was like, it was good. He was like, focused on baseball. I look forward to helping this team out. And that's, that's the right attitude. He looks like he's having a little more fun out there in spring training. So hopefully he's going to win the center field job, if not right field. He looks like he's going to play corner outfield spot, knowing that FAM will play left field. But the other guy who's come onto the scene to try and play center field is Edward Olivares, and will he? Probably not, but Edward Olivares has been killing it. And I mean killing it in his, you know, decent amount of playing time, 545 average. Now, of course, that's come down from where it once was, but he's still got a 1.091 slugging percentage, and that is very, very, very good and very encouraging. I mentioned in the tweet from James Clark earlier, my editor, is that he is good enough to be on the Potters, but the outfield is so deep. Like I just named three other guys who probably have a better shot at winning the center field job over him. And Olivares screams and screams Ronald Acuna Jr., I mean. Tall, fast. He stole 35 bases last year. 35 bases. That's incredible. And he can hit for power. He screams Ronald Acuna Jr. at me. Maybe a little less, um, a little less uh, refined, Ronald Acuna Jr. And you look at their minor league numbers, and Edward Olivares isn't that far off of them. Obviously, Acuna was one of the most highly touted prospects ever. He was. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew he was going to be good, and he's lived up to the hype. He competed for the MVP in his second season. He won Rookie of the Year. Hopefully, uh, Olivares can do that. And Olivares is on the 40-man roster as it stands. So, he's going to see time in the majors this year at some point. Is it going to be opening day? It shouldn't be. There's other guys on this team that deserve it more and have to be on the opening day roster. But Olivares is certainly making his case. As for Josh Naylor, who will end up playing right field if he's on the major league roster, like I said, he's slimmed down and he's been he's been solid. Two for seven, very limited playing time. He's walked once, three seventy-five OBP, two eighty six slugging, which means all of his hits are just singles. He's been he's been good. He looked a little better in the field, made a very costly error in one of the games earlier this week, which is not good. But he's going to be more mobile in the field. He's going to be better at the plate given the fact that he's not as big. He still has a very powerful swing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Naylor needs to be a little better. Obviously, he's going to get a little more playing time. As the games go on, more, more and more players will play the entire game. So I feel like there's progress being made for Naylor. Moving on to starting pitching. We highlighted that Chris Paddock And Denelson Lamette would compete for the A spots. And both have been very solid, not allowing a run in their first start. Hopefully, we get to see them expand their pitch count as spring training goes on, as those guys will certainly be the top two pitches for the Potters this year, unless Garrett Richards impresses, which would obviously be ideal. But we're looking at the number five pitchers and who that's going to be. Bobby and I both agree that it's between Lucchese and Cal Quantrill. Looking at Lucchese, who started the game against the Giants as well as the game against the Athletics, he got through two innings in both games, but he did not look that great against the Giants today. Pitch count was very, very high. And that's been his problem is that he can't get quick outs. His curveball, which is his best pitch, is sometimes nowhere near the strike zone, and that makes it... There's some instances where batters can just eliminate it and just look for the fastball, and his fastball only at 90-91 isn't going to blow by batters, and that's a serious problem. So he needs to work more on mixing up that curveball and getting in for strikes a little more and finding ways to get batters out without striking them out because the dude has an incredible curveball. Two strikeouts today against the Giants. Against the Athletics, he only had one, but he's allowed to run in both outings, so that's not an ideal start. Cal Quantrill started the game against the Royals, the only loss in spring training thus far. Two innings, had four strikeouts. That's pretty solid. So he's missing bats and allowed two hits, one earned run, and it was on a double by Gallagher from the Royals. Guy that's not probably not going to make their opening day roster. Uh, Quantrill looked good. You know, he, this game wasn't televised, of course, because Rob Manfred stinks. That's totally another discussion, but these two guys are competing. Look forward to watching these guys compete more and more in spring training. Obviously I'm not there to watch their bullpens. I wish I was, wish I was able to get out to Peoria, but Peoria is the second furthest location um, for me to get to for spring training games. So that sucks. I just don't have the money to Uber out there. Don't have a car because I'm a freshman in college. But that's another topic. Uh, the other guy, Adrian Morejon, he looked very solid against the the Angels' high pitch count, but he got fed to the fire. David Fletcher was a very good player for the Angels last year. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani, and Justin Upton. Those are Those are some big names. He only retired four batters, allowed a hit and a walk. He did get to face Pujols but after that he was done. Those are some solid players. There's already two Hall of Famers right there. Pujols and Trout, who Trout is obviously in the prime of his career. Pujols is not. Shohei Otani absolutely great hitter and then Anthony Rendon finished in third in the NL MVP last year. So he got fed to the fire. Was, wasn't able to get them out efficiently but he got. He only allowed a hit. He struck out Rendon looking, which is very, very impressive. He was able to get another strikeout. I'm, I'm encouraged by this because when, Morejon was up in the majors, in this past season, he did not look very good. Uh, had an ERA above ten. Then of course got injured, but that's very encouraging. As for the bullpen, and. For the bullpen guys, we're going to look at the guys who aren't necessarily locks. So, not Kirby Yates, Emilio Pagan, Craig Stammon, Drew Pomeranz, guys like that. We're going to look at the lefties who have pitched early and some of the young right handers. Uh, Looking at Michelle Baez, first off, I highlighted his performance against the Brewers because that was the last podcast that we had when he allowed the home run. And ever since then, he's thrown. He hasn't allowed a run. He's only allowed one hit, so he's doing a good job thus far. Early, David Bednar in two innings, he allowed an earned run on a home run. So you know that, like I said, that's the best way to allow a run is on a solo home run. But uh, he has two strikeouts in two innings. So that's good. He's uh, he's missing bats for Javier. He has three innings pitched, two hits, no runs. Not a single walk, which is good. He's doing a great job. He's looked very, very good with his fastball and with his deadly slider. But this is a guy who could definitely push to make a spot into the bullpen. Pierce Johnson, who will likely make the Padres' bullpen no matter the performance he has this year. Three innings, no earned runs, two hits, four strikeouts. His curveball has been very good. Does have a walk and a hit batter, so he's got to avoid Doing that. Gerardo Reyes looked very good. Three innings, two hits, no walks, does have a hit batter, but wait, no, he doesn't actually. He uh he hit the guy, but he swung mid-pitch, so it was a strike. So he actually doesn't have a hit batter. He's looked very good. He's looking like the guy that we saw in um in this winter. Who looked very good not the guy that we saw last year that just wasn't good at all Matt strom 2.2 innings only allowed one hit and he has hit two batters uh walked one so he needs to limit the base runners but hasn't allowed a run so that that's good stuff because Padres is gonna need him from the left side Jose Castillo yet to pitch as for Trey Wingenter he is yet to make an appearance it'll be interesting to see how he responds from a down 2020. So with that, that wraps up our position battles discussion, and we're going to introduce two new segments for the show. As you know, Bobby and I go to Arizona State University, and we are the Sun Devils, and we need a segment to discuss uh, some players who are doing well and some players who are not. So we're going to have the devil of the week and the devil of the week is the guy who's playing the best right now. Cause the, the we're the sun devils that we're hot. Uh, it's a hot mascot here in the Valley of the sun. And then we're also going to have the wildcat of the week, which is a player who isn't playing well since Arizona state owns you, Arizona. And we're not just going to bag on that guy. We're going to talk about ways that he can improve and ways that he could respond and try to improve and get better. So I did ask Bobby, who his devil and wildcats of the week would be. His devil of the week is Taylor Trammell. And this is a very good pick as Trammell has been very impressive thus far in spring training. In his 14 at-bats, has six hits, scored twice, had two doubles. And, you know, he's he's a gap-to-gap kind of guy. He's not going to put the ball over the fence that much. But 429 batting average, 500 OBP. 5.71% percentage. that's a 1.071 OPS. So that man is hot right now. He is Bobby's devil of the week. As for his wildcat of the week, he took Francisco Mejia. And I think this is a great pick. Mejia has struggled thus far, already highlighted it. 0 for 10, has walked twice, but he just needs to work on finding fastballs. Because he's not a very good breaking ball hitter, he he can get the ball below the strike zone, but he swings over a lot of curveballs. He's a very aggressive hitter. Needs to find his pitches. For me, my devil of the week is going to be Edward Oldavaris. Uh, Already highlighted it. He's been killing it. Five forty-five batting average. One point oh nine slugging percentage. That's insane. Screams Ronald Acuna Jr. at me. Uh, I know a couple of my friends agree with me as well, as well as Twilight Tony on Twitter. Um, these guys, they've been very solid. I I love what Olivares is doing. He is my devil of the week because he is the hot player on the Padres. My wildcat of the week is going to be Joey Lucchese. As I mentioned, it was very tough for me to decide. Uh, Francisco Mejia was a great pick. I thought about going with Austin Hedges, but, you know, it's kind of, Bad to pick on his hitting because it's it's already bad. He's going to be a common pick, though. But Lucchese has allowed a run in both of his starts, uh, and he hasn't been very efficient. So, you know, this is very picky, obviously. Uh, not a lot of guys performing bad. Uh thought about Fernando Tatis Jr. He's not playing very well. He did crush that double against the Royals. But other than that, not doing much. My wildcat of the week is Joey Lucchese. Like I said, he needs to find ways to um, to get batters out without having a strikeout, a lot of foul balls, because he doesn't have his curveballs, his put-away pitch, but sometimes it's not effective. So he needs to find a way to put away batters without getting strikeouts, be a little more efficient. And for our final segment of this podcast, we are going to take a look ahead at the Padres' upcoming schedule. We have received no information for who is going to be the starting pitches for this upcoming week. And let's start off with the game on Monday. Padres will be traveling down the street to Camelback Ranch, one of the nicest facilities to face the Chicago White Sox, not the Dodgers. This game will be broadcasted on MLB.com on radio. Once again, why are these games not televised? Why do I have to go on MLB.com to listen to the game? Why can't I listen to it? on the fan, but this game starts at 12.05 Pacific time, 1.05 local time here in Arizona. Next game, Potters at home in Peoria against the Brewers. That game will be on Fox Sports San Diego. The game will be at 12.10 back home in San Diego, 1.10 here in Arizona. For Wednesday, they will be hosting the Kansas City Royals at 12.10 San Diego time, 1.10 local time here in Arizona. Game will be broadcasted on Fox Sports San Diego. Thursday, this is a game at Peoria. The Potters will be the visiting team playing the Mariners. This game will be broadcasted on MLB.com. Once again, why? This game will be at 12 back home in San Diego. 12-10 to be exact. one ten here in Arizona. For the game against the Rangers, this is a night game out here in Peoria. All the games on Friday should be night games. Allow the fans to travel out here. This game will be starting at 540 back home, 640 here, home game against the Rangers. This game will be broadcasted on radio on the fan. As for Saturday's game is in the daytime, 12 p.m. back home, 110 here as they travel to the Diamondbacks. Uh, Game for Saturday will be at 1210 back home, 110 here in Arizona as they travel As they travel to face the Arizona Diamondbacks game will be broadcasted on the fan. The game on Sunday is White Sox versus Padres. Padres will be hosting the game. And it's interesting because this is the day of daylight savings time where here in Arizona, there is no daylight savings time because they they don't need it here in Arizona. So the times there will be no difference between Arizona time and California time. They'll be in the same time zone. So this game is at 1 o'clock, both here in San Diego and here in Arizona. This game will be broadcasted on TV and the fan. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We thank you for tuning in here on Devils Talking Padres. I'm Dominic Stern coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. Go Padres, go Devils, and we thank you for tuning in.